Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Chris Hernandez, former guard from Stanford. He subscribes, so you should as well. Actually, we're about 16 years and a week removed from one of the greatest games in Maples Pavilion when Stanford, then number two, I believe, hit almost a half-court shot against Arizona uh, with Tiger Woods in the building. Tiger Woods in like a white turtleneck backward hat. Incredible look. Just YouTube that. But Chris Hernandez, he subscribes. You should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. Make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Gentlemen, another week and another Twitter spat, this time with the Providence guys. Providence, of course, beat Sharks boys, Seton Hall, and the Crier, who we've had on the program, friend of the program, listened to his podcast, the Providence Crier podcast, and another friend of the program, Brendan O'Rourke, a friar, and you guys were entered into a Twitter feud. Now, 
a little bit of context. It started with O'Rourke chirping me because I tweeted about a Missouri State dunk. And apparently, and I was admittedly radio silent on Saturday when Providence beat Seton Hall. Now, Shark and I gave our responses and our excuses, basically saying like we were out, we were kind of drunk, too many games. And I've tweeted this once that once my whole thirty non-drinking ban was lifted, no way I was going to be able to get to every single game. Uh, but then it escalated. So I'll give you guys a chance to expand a little bit, Taylor, starting with you on the Twitter feud? Uh, well, I, I uh, started off agreeing with, uh, with our boy Brennan there uh, that Shark has too many boys, too many teams. I believe I said that Shark has 174 teams making the tournament at this point, uh, which is more than 50% of the D1 college basketball world. Then uh, Bohr really came back strong with a... With a uh, a, uh, a firing a shot at uh, the shark about not rooting for his own teams in BC and Tennessee, which has been a point of contention on this program, I believe, even before before my time was a, a official here. Uh, and then it mold or morphed into me talking about how shitty Providence basketball is, and then disagreeing with those guys as well. It was uh, there was a lot to take in there. Shark, how did you feel about that? I noticed that Shark was subtweeting us. He wasn't actually participating in the conversation he was uh he was subtweeting oscar wilde uh quotes while this conversation was going on well you're gonna learn this and i'm kind of glad you got exposure to the absolute swine that providence fans are because you can't you can't look them right in the eye you know that you can't you can't engage with them directly because they're gonna snap at you like a bat out of hell i mean they're 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 the worst type of fans in the world Prior to the Philadelphia Eagles winning a Super Bowl, the perfect comparison to Providence basketball fans would be Philly fans. Just so much delusional, irrational confidence in what their program is. They've never done anything recently. They haven't done anything, yet their fans carry themselves as if they are consistently in the Final Four. Like, Taylor, you just got wrapped into exactly what these fans do. They think that we owe them some type of respect for the way that they perform. They've won, they're like two games over 500 this year. They, they were up by 40 points in the first 10 minutes of the game. And if that game was two minutes longer on Saturday night, they would have lost by 12. Alpha Diallo just happened to hit like seven straight shots. And all of a sudden we're comparing him to like, you know, DeMar DeRozan on the court. Like they, this team and their fan base are scum. They're just – they're all in-your-face antagonistic. That This is what they look like, too. You see Providence fans running around like if they ever go to a Boston College game or you see them, they're all – they're filled, sprinkled all throughout the Northeast. They all wear like a tucked-in, long-sleeve Providence tee. They got black, slip-back hair. They're all probably about five foot six, and they all want to fight just immediately, all right? They're, they're like a bunch of Tim Donaghy's running around in a pack screaming at you trying to bait you into a fight and that's why you know that's why i'm over on the side tweeting oscar wilde because i don't want to engage with these guys like it was a random sunday night everyone's having a good night and then all of a sudden i look at my phone and i got 19 notifications from these hillbillies telling me that i that i apparently i like the top 25 it's not even a good argument i don't like the top 25 the whole year i've been saying i'm on four teams seton hall oregon wisconsin maryland I would pick those four over the current top four right now. Yet you want to tell me that I love every team in the tournament? It's stupid. 
I'm sorry I've been right. I'm sorry I've been on the money. I'm sorry my team isn't two games over 500, and I suck, and I have to make up for a very, uh, let's call it what it is, underwhelming season by celebrating a win on a Saturday night. Like it, like it somehow validates everything that I've ever supported with that cool. At the end of the day, you haven't been over Sweet 16. At the end of the day, that you, you're irrelevant. You suck. You're no better than you're no better than a uh, uh, give me some some random school in the year like Duquesne. Duquesne's had more success in the tournament. LaSalle went to a Sweet Sixteen. Well, well, even better, right there. Uh, the Leon Rice, the, the doctor that was the coach there. You're LaSalle. You know, some Catholic school in the Northeast. Fuck out of here. Who was uh, the guy for LaSalle that had the South Philly floater a couple of years I ago? Just called him the South Philly floater guy. He yeah, that guy was awesome. Hysterical braids, yeah. Uh, I, so, my, personal, my personal favorite part about this was uh, them telling us that their goal was 19 wins. As if they've strung together five wins at any point this year, especially they have to play like three more ranked teams. It's like, you know what? We've got a shot in this game if we literally just had 15 other players on the roster. You know, and maybe a different head coach. It's like, at what point did you guys string together five wins this season that gave you a ch- hope that it would happen now? Zero. Out of here. I, they also seem to think that the Dunkin' Donuts Center has like this mythical proportions where if you play there, like you're gonna you're going into the gates of hell. Like I've been in the dunk. I saw a Josh Groban concert in the dunk this past summer. It was probably more wild in that Josh Groban concert than they are when they're playing against St. John's, who they lost to at home not too recently. So get the fuck out of here with your mystique that you have surrounding the dunk. So I was 100% thinking you were going to say, I saw a Josh Groban concert like 15 years ago, the dunk. You saw this last summer, like Josh Groban still around? Yeah, it was moving. So is it fair then to say that Rhode Island had, we know what little man syndrome is, right? Napoleonic syndrome. Does Rhode Island have little state syndrome? Because this isn't the first Rhode Island team that's chirped us for not giving them enough attention. We got chirped by Rhodey Ram and, and Justin Haskard earlier in the year, and we gave them the kiss of titch. They've they've gone on to do some really good things. But then Providence comes at us because I'm tweeting about Missouri State. Sorry if I'm diversifying my bonds over here. And it just seems like, what am I going to get next? Johnson and Wales coming at me? Brown University going to come at me? It feels like a little, there's a little state syndrome with Rhode Island. I feel like we've been generally supportive of Rhode Island basketball. We no, have. Right? No, you have. And that, that's why I'm doing what I can to defend you right now, because you have been. Nobody in the rest of the country talks about these two teams except for us three on here. And we're talking about them, yet they're still pissed off that we're talking about. Seriously, but we had like five do? We had like five episodes in a row where we brought up Providence basketball for no reason. No, they're little poodles nipping at you after feeding them a little treat. They just keep nipping. It's ridiculous. Well, as always, open invite to Brendan O'Rourke and also the crier to come in and discuss this at length. But there's no good way to segue this, so I'm just going to do a hard pivot. I'm talking like the sharpest V-cut you've ever seen. Keith Appling facing heroin charges? The hell happened there? It's just been a bad 2020 for Michigan State, and apparently it's ex-players as well. Yeah, I mean, he's like playing in Europe, I think, now too. So it's not like... Oh, he's still playing? Yeah, he plays for, uh, and excuse me, no offense to this team if I mispronounce their name. Uh, Palincest- Palincestro Placentina. It's Look, if, it's not, if it's not Panathinakos or whatever with Patino, I don't, I don't, there's no point in knowing the pronunciation. 
Yeah, I, it doesn't even have a link to Wikipedia page. Um, so, yeah, apparently he's got to slang some dope, I guess, just to uh, make it, make on. ends meet. He was just arraigned, so let's not let's not say that he's guilty of anything here. It could just be a wrong place, wrong time, but I do agree that you never want a uh, your name showing up in that type of headline that he has here. Can we dub you the Roger Cossack of this program, by the way? I, can you? I, I mean, you complete all my dreams while you're at it right there. That would be ideal. All right. Oh, so man. you didn't necessarily get, get to be the lead, head legal counsel or advisor for ESPN, but you are on Titch. Yeah, I, dream come true. But, yes, Keith Appling, uh, shocking news there. Now, he's only been a few years removed from college basketball. Yeah, he's only like 28 years old. It's like, yeah. Dude, hang with a better crowd or like figure out what you're doing here. Michigan State basketball needs to get their house in order. Uh, another news and note, Sharif O'Neal going to LSU where Big Daddy played. Uh, Sharif has had a few teams that have been interested in him. He committed to Arizona, decommitted, then went to UCLA, transferred from UCLA. I can only assume because Mick Cronin just is not the type of coach that he wants to play for. But I do ultimately think that this is a good move, more so for LSU and Will Wade. It's kind of like a low-risk, high-reward type deal because LSU is still a good program. Wade can can has proven that he can get talent and also turn out talent with Naz Reed, Skylar Mays, Trey Waters, those kind of guys. Uh, so I like this move more so for LSU, and I hope Sharif, you know, gets back to playing at a high level, uh, especially after that that heart condition that he was able to overcome. I was pretty excited for Sharif to come to Arizona, but mainly because just he was Shaq's son. I mean, I to be completely honest with you, I think he's thought of as a much better basketball player than he is just because he's Shaq's son. He's really good, don't get me wrong, but I think people expected him to be like Shaq, right? Kind of like being Michael Jordan's son, although he is better than all of Michael Jordan's sons. But yeah, overall, very happy for him because, uh, you know, his heart condition and, and everything. He was, he was dealt kind of a shitty hand other than being the son of like a future billionaire other than that part of things he was dealt kind of a shitty hand in terms of his health and how things played out in his recruitment so hope hope he succeeds at lsu fulkerson versus sharif is it could that be a thing is fulkerson still going to be around for tennessee he will still be around um hopefully we're not relying as much on fulkerson next year as we do this year but the guy just finds a way to get buckets so sharif better bring his game against folky next year and lastly, before we get to our interview with Indiana superfan Ryan Logue, I want to talk real quick about Memphis. What a weird time for Memphis fans and, and the basketball team. So the Grizzlies right now are sitting at the eight seed in the West, but the college team, the Tigers, are truly sputtering and could very well miss the tournament. I think they're out right now projected. But if let's go back into the summertime. If you told Grizzly fans, like, hey, here in middle of November, in February, excuse me, your bat, your pro team is going to be in position to make the playoffs, but or the postseason, but your college team isn't. I think they'd slap you. It's kind of a wild switch up that's happened down there in Memphis. And since accountability twenty twenty is our motto, our theme, I'd like to say that I think all three of us were kind of right and kind of wrong. So. I think Taylor and I had said that the Wiseman loss could really send their tournament success into something left to be desired. We were saying that they could still make the tournament, but without Wiseman, like I think Taylor, you had mentioned them being a potential elite eight team. 
I thought they were Sweet 16. Uh, that's I don't think that's going to happen even if they do make the tournament. But, uh, Shark, you had also labeled them when the Wiseman thing happened. You said, well, hold on. They're not completely dead just yet. A few more games went along, and they were fine. They were winning games, and I said, look, they're still staying afloat. Good, good for Penny. But, Shark, you had also then said after those few games, like, uh, no, they're not that good of a team. They haven't beat anyone. I think the turning game, turning point game was going to be Wichita State. Uh, and so uh, just a very odd season in Memphis. And I urge you guys to read uh, our guy, Barnburner Bro, Zach. He had a great piece on the state of Memphis basketball and Penny Hardaway. Just wanted to get your thoughts now that we're here in February and their tournament hopes are on the brink. I... I definitely recall you know those conversations that we had. You know, when they played Tennessee early in the year, they won, went into Knoxville and they beat them. I was an emotional win for them. Wiseman wasn't playing. It, it kind of at the time, everyone thought it would be a win that could catapult them into the post Wiseman era. The rest of the team can play. And if you watch the game, it was pretty obvious that both teams kind of sucked this year. Like even even though Memphis was able to squirt that one out at the end. Tennessee, they're not that good. Uh, Memphis plays good defense, but it, it isn't going to be there. And when you looked at their body of work at the time, they didn't really have any good wins, and it's kind of been revealed itself throughout the rest of the year. Now, all of that is to say, which one thing that I think, you know, it's easy to pick on Memphis because they went into the season with just these very uh, arrogant expectations that they were going to have. They were preseason ranked. They had the talent, so I guess it's justified from that regard. But, yeah. You, there wasn't, I guess, an inherent ability, and this is me being a Tennessee fan, to root against them. You didn't want them to be successful this quickly. Um, so it is kind of nice to see them have a tough year, but it's really not their fault. You know, the last thing happens, Ashua missed a few games. Quinones, uh, with his short shorts, was out for a while. So they, they've kind of just been taking hit after hit. And Penny's kept it somewhat afloat, so it's not fair to judge him based off of this season. Goodwill hunting. Not are, we, <laughs> are we worried about maybe what the future holds for Memphis basketball, not this year, but as it progresses forward, just because of maybe the negative connotation that has kind of come with this year? Or do we think that this is more like a shit happens and things will be okay next year? I don't know enough about their recruiting class for next year. I'm assuming it's still strong just because Penny, um, he's still kind of in that honeymoon phase of his job there um so i i wouldn't be too concerned about that but i don't know i chalk this year up to shoulder shrug well and it's probably an easy sell for him to any recruit that has a question just say like oh man we got fucked with the whole you know james wiseman thing that's not you know we couldn't do anything about that so that's probably an easy sell now if you're still on like year three or four trying to make that same excuse probably not going to work but he's probably get a one-year pass at least on from the recruiting standpoint to say hey you know we got not nothing we could do about it yeah tough times down in memphis i don't know why they don't go to precious achua down the stretch more often like they they go with boogie ellis and quinones and you got a lottery pick a consensus lottery pick and they just don't go right. to him yeah right i think uh what was it the barn burner main um, account or was it backdoor cut? One of the podcasts had a great tweet that I believe we, ret- we retweeted uh, about Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies having a better season than the University of Memphis. And that was, yeah, nobody would have expected that coming into this year. I thought that was a pretty interesting tweet on how the, the basketball year in Memphis has turned out. 
Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the topic of this conversation. Well, no, I, I just mean, I, I just, well, yeah, I just, sorry. I just mean that, like, it, uh, just to elaborate on that, you wouldn't have expected it was, it's that notable that, like, John Morant and those guys have been that good and above 500. And yes, thank you. I, Thanks I, for I, I just, I can't pass up opportunities to be a dick sometimes. I'm sorry. Like, thank I, you for making me feel like oh, uh, uh, I'm on the Dan Levitard show with two guys <laughs> who, who does that, like, every day. Like, yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of, uh, you know, that James Wiseman was out? Did you guys know about that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, if we're going to be Levitard's two gods, I wouldn't mind their notoriety, their fame and success. So yeah, I'll, okay. I'll take that, actually. Sure, sure. So before we get to our interview now with Logue, a quick message from the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right. We now welcome to the program lifelong Indiana Hoosier fan, Ryan Logue. Logue, appreciate you jumping on the program. We're continuing to get these Big Ten fans uh, on the show because it's the best conference in basketball right now. But I will say, unfortunately, no, no real thanks to Indiana. But, you know, <laughs> they got a huge fan base, and I appreciate you you hopping on. Before we get into all of that, though, do us a favor. Give the theater goers some background context on your fandom. Yeah, so for me, essentially since birth uh, – I grew up in Indiana. Um, I went to IU, and uh, we'll probably get into this later on the broadcast, but my dad went to IU and actually had, as a student manager for a year or two, some interactions with the basketball team. So, yeah, pretty much uh, since uh, pretty much since birth, been a Hoosiers fan, and it's rough, to say the least. It's been rough for a while. Well, so tell me about that. Why, is it, why has it been rough? Obviously, we see the record, but I mean, just well, the past few years. I'm just going to be honest to me. Uh, Indiana basketball quit in 2003. And 2002 was the last night team. He didn't coach it, but that was the last time his fingerprints was on Indiana University basketball. After that, the administration, like, Rightfully so. I get wanting to move on from him. Frankly, he did some terrible things. He just did. But, I mean, that was the last time Indiana was any good at all. And they said, we're not going this direction. We're not going this route anymore. And it stopped being Indiana basketball, essentially, when he left. Because, I mean, I know Mike Davis was the coach of that team. But, Help Dane Fife might as well have been the player coach of that team, like Bill Russell that one year with the Celtics. Like they honestly, Mike Davis was just there. It was Knight's team, and after that, Indiana basketball has never been the same. And I want, Logan, I want to ask you a couple questions about that later on in the episode, but I, I want to stop you right there because you make it. And I've known I've known Logue for almost ten years at this point, going way back to when I first met the Chief. And, Logue, you make it seem like you're this massive victim having a root for Indiana basketball. The year you're referencing, you guys went to the national championship the previous year. You're saying the team's dead. You were a one seed later on. You've been in the Elite Eight since then. I I don't it, – maybe it's because you have these unrealistic expectations from Bobby Knight from when he was winning all the titles way back when. But, you know, I don't, I don't think your program's dead. Um, and <laughs> – Explain that to me. Like, where, where, where do you get off thinking that it's all over with? I, I didn't say it's all over. I said Indiana basketball, the way Indiana You said they quit. Was, I, I think that team quit yesterday. That, that looks like a team that quit. And uh, what I mean by that is, and I get what you're saying, yeah, 
But I, re- I remember, I remember in law school, you said when the tournament started, you're like, yo, y'all going to get Syracuse in the Sweet 16 and you're done. That's it. Deion Waiters, that long zone going to just wreak havoc. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I thought we were better than that because I assumed Tom Crean had, I don't know, watched basketball in the last 35 years and had maybe prepared for the zone defense against Syracuse. Don't get him going on Tom Crean. Don't get him going. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not the same anymore. And. I, I, I'll be honest with you. We give a president four years to run the country. I don't think it's too much to ask an Indiana basketball coach to make the tournament once in four years when they let 70 teams in. They let well, 70 teams in the tournament. Joe, hey, I know you're crowning the team dead this year, but Joe Lenardi has you guys as the last four in right now. Oh, that, that, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Now, they should <laughs> probably build a statue to Archie, man. Fuck All right. Yeah. Do. And Does that guy just, not look and talk like Scrabby Doo? You, y'all remember uh, Scrabby Doo, uh, Scooby Doo's little cousin? That, that's our damn, aren't you, man? You know, just say. Hey. Oh, he's cutting out. Yeah. Hey, and, hey, there's there's no Miller brother slander on this <laughs> podcast, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. Well, what? actually, actually, there might be, there might be. Okay. So, speaking of people like Archie or Tom Green or Mike Davis. Kelvin Sampson or even Dan Dockich in there for a couple of games. Which coach were you, not retroactively, but when he, they actually got hired, which coach did you think had the best chance? Like, oh, he's going to save the program. Uh, how was I when Calvin Sampson? I mean, I was probably, I was still in high school when Calvin Sampson got hired. He's by far the best we've hired. Uh, I mean, I, I can't hide from it. I was excited when we uh, hired Archie, and when he got Romeo to come, I was like, I, I stayed up to like one in the morning writing that article for y'all's blog. And then the season started, and it's undeniable. It's just rough. I mean, that's bad. That's bad, bad. My goodness. So, I think when you look back on your accomplishments over the past five years or so, you'd say, you know, graduating law school, passing the bar exam, um, opening a law office and being a part of Romeo Langford agreeing to go to IU as, as the number one recruit in Indiana. You'd probably put that in the top five, wouldn't you? you know, I'm going to act like I don't care, but I can't. I, can't. I know you care. I clearly really? care. I clearly care. I wouldn't be like making jokes like this. It's- and for the, the listeners that don't know, Logue is a he's a classic call into radio show guy. If you listen to uh, the Eric Ains show or Sports Animal in, in Knoxville, Logue, hop in a Tony Basilio. I don't know where you contribute, but you're you're always calling into radio shows talking Tennessee football mainly. But we're not bringing you in for that today. We want to hear your stories about Bob Knight and your fandom. Yeah. Um, well. Okay. Uh, let's start with, uh, I guess uh, we'll lead off with, uh, I picked out three Coach Knight stories that probably everyone knows that have kind of made him somewhat, you know, obviously notorious. Not going to go with the chair one, but my three favorite Coach Knight stories that have been documented is – the LSU fan confrontation that he had in 1981. So in 1981 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, IU and LSU, North Carolina, I can't remember the other team, made the final four. Isaiah Thomas was the point guard. And allegedly in a bar, 
Bob Knight got into confrontation with an LSU Tiger fan and Knight stuffed him in a trash can. And like that's become, I mean, I kind of think it happened. And as an SEC and Big Ten guy, just a funny visual to me because LSU fans, they're known as these rowdy, crazy Cajuns. And that's allegedly what happened. I don't know if that's true. Uh, who, Real quick, who wins in a fight? Orgeron or Bob Knight? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Coach O, I'd go O. Even at Knight's prime, I'd go Coach O. Uh, Coach O is thick, man. I mean, Knight's huge, but Coach O is – he's big, and he's hes Cajun crazy. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to fight him. Uh, Bob Knight's really mean, though. Like, there, there is no denying that. Like, you can, you can never discount meanness. But Knight's also kind of a bully. So if uh, someone stood up to him, I don't, I don't know how he'd react. But I'm going O, big time, Coach O on that one. But uh, – do you guys know about the uh, Puerto Rican police officer incident in the Pan Pan Am Games? Enlighten us, please. Also, how do you know these stories? Well, like, it's I mean, not like you're kinda, a Bob Knight contemporary. You, you, you kind of grow up uh, hearing some of them, and I, I did look up some of my favorites when you guys said you wanted me to come on and talk about Coach Knight. Um, so in the Pan Am Games, and I don't even think they have that anymore, Coach Knight was coaching a team in the mid-'80s down there and a Puerto Rican in Puerto Rico and a police officer came on and allegedly told coach Knight, Hey, your time is up. You have to give up the floor. Well, coach Knight wasn't done. And he allegedly assaulted the police officer. Like, cause you know, I don't know. He just did. And the weird thing was there was talk of extradition at one time, according to like some of the articles I read, like Puerto Rico, like wanted to make an issue out of this and wanted to extradite Knight down to San Juan to face some sort of charges it never happened but that's uh, my other one but my personal favorite because you know a lot of them are awful a lot of the stuff he did but in terms of just funny crazy things coach Knight's alleged to have done um y'all know that like blue chips he was in the movie blue chips where you know the big climax was western university indiana and then nick nolte's character with his attack of conscience spills the beans on the recruiting violation well based on uh i read this in the indianapolis star fairly like um not that long ago so they have night like some of his players to play against this made-up fictional western university team and they have a real crowd come into a high school gym in indiana and they say i just play ball but obviously at the end Western University has to win. Well, Coach Knight wouldn't let him win. Like, the story was, like, allegedly, like, Knight was coaching his team like it was a real game. And he was like, they're going to run that, you know, backdoor to Shaq, and they're going to lob it, and don't let him. Like, he wouldn't let him win. He wouldn't let him get the shots. And it took, like, hours because he kept having, like, Calvert Shady and, like, Eric Anderson and, like, Bobby Hurley and people like that like actually like stop the Western university players from doing whatever. So it like really screwed with things. And it was, to me, that's hilarious. That's a quintessential night story about just being kind of a jerk, but also being a brilliant basketball mind with uh, that. Those three uh, stories are are absolutely incredible. The, The Puerto Rican police officer though is easily my favorite because when you got night in a foreign country, just those two components, that's it. It's like a powder keg. I mean, so much can go wrong, I feel like, with Bob Knight in a foreign country. 
can you can you just picture Bob Knight going through like TSA or especially through like customs just to add to that story? He probably just was pissed off the entire time because I can't picture him like being patient and waiting for anything ever. And he was just probably waiting to explode at the first inconvenience that came his way. Or just sightseeing. Imagine him like wandering around old San Juan in Puerto Rico trying to appreciate the, the fortress that used to be there. He probably doesn't give two shits. Uh, that, I'd say that's that's true. Um, uh, what's another, that's another good one. Oh, like I guess for me, the, the greatness aspect of Coach Knight with his coaching abilities. You know, Neon Badeau had a better record against uh, Knight and IU than Shaq did. Like, uh, y'all know Coach Knight ended Shaq's career uh, in the NCAA tournament in the early 90s. And uh, I know Mark probably wants to harp on this based on some of the stuff we talked about. The, the quintessential Bobby Knight masterpiece. It's not the national championships. It's not the undefeated teams. It's the 1985 Sweet 16 game against North Carolina. For people who are like, oh, he wasn't that good. He was this big jerk. Like, no, man, you need to YouTube that game. And the man was a savant. He, he's, to me, the only coach better is Coach K. And I'm not a big Wooden guy because y'all know Sam Gilbert. You know who that is? John Wooden cheated like hell. So, to me, I don't have – to me, I, just, I don't think John Wooden's that great. I'd, I'd say Coach K number one and night number two for me, all-time coaches. Yeah, Co- Coach Wooden got the number one, two, three, four, five, and six recruit every year, just from all over the country, just yeah. naturally. Nat- you know, naturally. No, there was nothing going on behind the scenes there or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> no. And it just came from the far reaches of the country in the early 60s just because they'd heard of that guy. Right. No other particular reason other than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're missing Dan Dockich also within that – list of the top three coaches of all time right there, if we're going to stay within the same tree. Because um, obviously Coach K and Bobby Knight, well, Coach K comes from that Bobby Knight tree. But, you know, Dockage is there as well. And when he was an interim coach, he was phenomenal with you guys. Yeah, take him back tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, you picked Kelvin Sampson over him. I think that's an insult to Coach Dockage right there. Now, now, an elite color commentator in the college basketball world. Elite. Jesus H. Christ, dude. No, he's not. I would love for you to take back Dan Dockage because that means that we wouldn't have to listen to him every Saturday and Tuesday or whenever he's broadcasting complaining about a terrible like screen down low. Uh, but it is funny that you bring up you know, Archie and also Bob Knight. I'm trying to rack my brain about two coaches that are just so polar opposite. I actually think we kind of saw it on Saturday or excuse me, Sunday with the Memphis game against UConn. You got Dan Hurley who definitely takes charges like Kyle Lowry in an all-star game or in a pickup game versus Penny Hardaway. Who's got a double breasted suit, the sweetest shoes. I mean that those two are polar opposites. I'm trying to think though, is there more of a polar opposite in terms of coaches with Bob Knight, this big burly, angry, surly guy versus Archie Miller, who you described as scrappy do. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I will say, here's my one. The rumor floating around the message boards in like, you know, the last hour I've been reading, like kind of prepping for this. With John Beeline's impending doom, could IU make a move? Kind of out of desperation, but, you know, John Beeline, I don't, does he have a landing spot? I don't know. But um, something that is going on behind the scenes that, and again, when I talk about the 
reason why I and Indiana is so hard for me to ever see getting back. They have to change some things administrationally. Indiana has what's called a student athlete bill of rights that Fred Glass implemented a few years ago. And there are rumors that Archie Miller's hamstrung on his ability to do certain things with this team. And it was created in response to not only Bobby Knight, but also uh, Kevin Wilson um, with the stuff that happened with the football team. So I don't know. They got to get rid of that. But yeah, Archie, this is a bad look, man. I mean, he looks disinterested on the sidelines. It's not just that, like, I mean, it's not like, oh, he's not Bobby Knight. It's he's not Bobby Hurley. He's not he's not, you know, someone who's just an average coach right now. So, yeah. Do you think that any of Indiana's kind of lack of success has to do? And no offense to any Indiana fan when I say this, but do you think that in the, the administration or the fans or any of those people are stuck in 1987? You know, I I, I almost think of it as like Nebraska football. No, think, you talk to you talk to Nebraska fans, and they're like, "Oh yeah, GBR, black shirts, national championships," and it's like, "Well, yeah, those national championships were thirty years ago, like before we were alive." Yeah. Is Indiana, Indiana kind of strikes me as some of the people in that fan base think like, "Oh yeah, well, why wouldn't recruits want to come to us? We're Indiana." Well, because Indiana hasn't won a championship since '87, and th- that's still better mm-hmm. than the vast majority of schools, but do you think that plays into a factor of maybe like recruiting or just, you know, maybe unrealistic expectations of people like Archie Miller or Tom Crean or any of those guys? Yes and no, because yeah, it's not fair. Look, I, I don't think there's ever going to be another Bobby Knight at Indiana. I don't, I just don't think there's going to be, but dude, we're talking about making the tournament once a presidential administration. That, that's and, and this is not the night tournament when they only had 32 teams in. What is it, 68 now, right? The four play-in. And you guys know as good as I do that if they're a bubble team like Indiana versus Wichita State, they want Indiana to get in so bad, and they still can't get in. It's not like – not talking about, I'm talking about being average. Indiana's not average. They're they're awful. Post uh with the exception of a few years, post 02, they're they're not a blue blood, they're not average. They're a below average program. So I don't I don't think that's unrealistic to expect average or slightly above average. So let me jump in here because a few episodes ago we were talking about uh some rivalries and one rivalry that most people don't really focus on outside of the Midwest would be Indiana and Purdue. Now, I, because I've known you for a long time, I know where you come out on Purdue. You think they're nerds. You think you're this. You think they're that. Can you comment a little bit on the seriousness of that rivalry and just your general reaction towards students from Purdue? <laughs> um, well, when I was growing up, it's not quite Alabama-Auburn, and it's not quite uh, – uh, Ohio State. It's not the most intentional. The most intentional one is Ohio State, Michigan. But it, um, we had watch parties. Like uh, we would, you would go somewhere as a kid growing up and watch the IU Purdue game. Goofy stuff. It was rare that someone's whose mom or dad went to Indiana 
and or Purdue would go to Purdue and or Indiana. It's like you just you didn't do that. And um, yeah, it's a it's an intense one. Uh, but I hate to say this, and uh, you guys are gonna be shocked to hear me say this. I'd rather watch Purdue play than Indiana right now, and uh, not just this year, but last year, last couple of years. Don't bring that up. You and I had rough experience watching <laughs> Purdue last year. And for those that don't know, Loeb was boots on the ground with me in uh, downtown Louisville when we had our uh, when we had our hearts ripped out by Ryan Klein and Carson Edwards. That was a long drive back to Knoxville that day. Yo, what insurance uh, agency do you think Ryan Klein's working at in Indianapolis right now? I don't know, but it might be the same one that Tom Coverdale works at currently, uh, which good. I'm going to be bringing up later on. <laughs> That that is a reference. Tom Coverdale, one hundred percent does sell insurance, I believe. In Nova well, I guess if you're if you're an Indiana guy and you live between Bloomington and West Lafayette and you need insurance, are you going to go to Tom Coverdale or are you going to go to Ryan Klein? Oh, that's tough. Okay. Let's say you're younger too. Like you don't you don't really remember much about Tom Coverdale in 02. Well, here's the thing. Have you seen Coverdale lately? If you're a kid, I don't think you'd believe he was an athlete. I mean, that dude is my goodness, he's big, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, he could use a few sit-ups. All right, hold on. The legendary party is what uh, the stories I've heard at Indiana University that he was just an absolute hellraiser. But so in an upset, uh, Ryan Klein is an orthopedic sales rep. Oh, in, in Indy, that's like Spike Albert. Very similar to him. <laughs> we keep that. We keep that for the next. Where am I? Okay, sorry. Cats out the bag on that. No, no, no. That's fine. I, I'm actually shocked because I feel like. Klein's resume could only consist of those of that second half against Tennessee, and that should get him an NBA job. He works for a great company called Smith and Nephew as well. So I can only imagine that they hire the finest uh, Purdue grads. Yeah. I also think we found the root of Logue's disdain for John Wooden. Keep forgetting John Wooden's a Purdue guy. So it's all right, Logue. You can just you come out and say it like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh... Look, I know I'm being funny. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of coaches, right? But I I think his sainthood and his knee-jerk greatest coach ever for a lot of people is ridiculous. But definitely top four all time. Definitely Look, Mount Rushmore. Look, being from the country and being grown up on a farm, yeah. discussing Indiana-Purdue, I feel like we always see these establishing shots. Uh, during their games, either Purdue versus Indiana or their individual games. We always see these shots of like a barn with a hoop with no backboard. And I feel like sometimes that's just over-dramatized. Is that the truth? Is that really how, you know, you and some other sharpshooters that I picture, like Ryan Klein, I don't know where he's from. He could very well just be an urban kid. But is it is that really the the picture of truth in farm country Indiana? It, it is where I grew up, but probably not where he grew up, and not everywhere. I, I, we had barns where we had hoops in the barn, but that obviously is not everybody. Even the state as rural as Indiana, only probably eight to ten percent of the population is a farmer. But uh, I will say this: it it is rare for a, a a house not to have a hoop if they got teenage boys, but. Uh, uh, Ryan Klein probably had money and grew up shooting on a gorilla or whatever they call that. Those really nice goals like me. Nah, man, it, not, we didn't have a gorilla. We had something in a barn, but. <laughs> Would you rather a kid from 
a barn or someone from like Indianapolis? I just want to win at this point, man. I don't care. I, they don't even have to be from Indiana. You're talking about, I don't care. I, I want Zion Williamson. I don't care, you know, <laughs> but all things equal. I, I don't know. A lot of good players from everywhere, man. I, I, I agree. I just, I didn't know if there's if a fan went towards, you know, one type of basketball player in Indiana versus like, a, you know, a farm guy versus a city dweller. Uh, but I want to ask you real quick about Assembly Hall as well. So for my money, Logue, that and Allen Fieldhouse are the two best venues in college basketball when things are popping, when things are going right, when the team is yeah. good. And even when the game is good. I mean, we can. We all remember the 2011 Christian Watford shot against Kentucky. I, in my in my estimation, probably the greatest court rush that I've seen. Describe Assembly Hall when it is going crazy. Yeah. Um, so a, an interesting thing about Assembly Hall, and I, this was great design by whoever designed it. So the ground level floor is kind of a traditional basketball gym. But the balcony is balcony seating, kind of like a auditorium. And I'm trying to position it in my hand right. So they're facing kind of at a slanted. I still mess that up. I'm sorry. They're facing a slanted thing. So Don't worry about it. This is a podcast, so nobody can see your hand. But. Oh, well, shit. That's the mo- that is the most Hoosier thing yet. Like, of all the Hoosier things uh, we've talked about, that, that's got to be number one that I just did. But um, – so you kind of sit facing down when you're in the balcony, which is where the really rowdy fans sit. And so your voice goes down and it, it just traps the noise and it gets unbelievably loud in there because it's, it's not small, but it's not that big compared to uh, um, Rupp Arena. Let's see, um, definitely the Carrier Dome. Carrier Dome is probably twice the size of Assembly Hall. And uh, – even Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville is substantially bigger than Assembly Hall, but it's just designed in a certain way that the noise carries. And, yeah, very loud. Even as bad as we've been, we tend to win in Bloomington. So so this is going to be a little outside of basketball, but do you remember when we were all in college, those videos that everybody came up with? It was like white kids rapping about their college basketball team. Does anyone remember those? Even football uh, I team. I feel like yeah. Oregon did that too, right? Yeah. So, Logue, do you remember uh, This Is Indiana, which is kind of like, I think, one of the seminal videos that kind of uh, kicked that all off? Can you give me a review on This Is Indiana? Uh, you want me to sing it? Oh, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> give me a second. Give me a second. I do remember that. This came out like I went to IU Tom Crane's first year. That was my uh, first year at IU. And so I missed all the good stuff. Like the year after I graduated, the watch shot happened. And so, uh, yeah, and that song came out, but it was, uh, this is Indiana. Yeah, we do it big. Bossing on the big tin. You know what it is. Cause this is I, you, 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 babe. This is I, you, you, you. We got banners on the wall. And this is how we ball. Talking about the who, who,
What a rendition there from Logue. That's incredible. Shark, I know you got one more question for Logue. Go ahead, fire away. Logie, give me your top three IU players of all time. Uh, all time, let's see. Isaiah, number one. Um, I'd say Scott May was the best player on the 76 team, but Quinn Buckner was the captain. So I guess I'll go Scott May, number two, and number three, uh, Calder Chaney would be my number. That'd be my number three. In my lifetime, Oladipo. Uh, Oladipo, Jared Jeffries. No, well, Calvert Chaney was still in my lifetime. But there you go. See, I was right into my trap. I knew that what you were going to do was you are going to reference people from a much older generation from you because you're a historian of the game. You're the same way with college football. You're always going to react to that. And um, you played right into it. Well done. And what I also want to know is, so, you know, you, you're what, a little bit over 30 at this point. So 2001, 2002, that was 01, 02, right? That was probably peak time for you being a, a young kid rooting for Indiana. Talk to me a little bit about the memory of that season and what could match the excitement that you had for a team that you supported going forward. Oh, let's see. Um, that year, there are, let's see, there's three games that distinctly stand out to me from that year. The first one was early on in the year, Bill Self was still coaching at Illinois and had a very good team. Always had a good team at Illinois. And um, IU just beat the hell out of them in Assembly Hall. Beat them by like 30 points because they made like 23s in a game. And uh, Jeff Newton brought the house down on a transition and one slam. And I remember watching that with my dad. That was a great memory of that season. And every Hoosier remembers where they were when Moye blocked Boozer. Every single Hoosier remembers where they were um, when uh, not just that game, but that play. And honestly, it looked like Fife was going to screw it up. At the very end, that was one of the most highest of highs to the instant lowest of lows. But I remember watching that game with uh, my family. That was great. And I, the Oklahoma game doesn't stand out that much of the that time. But um, the uh, Kent State game was a lot of fun, too. Because, again, same thing. Made a shitload of threes. Uh, Coverdale rolled his ankle and uh, kind of – was even slower if that's, you know, possible. And uh, like, so that we thought was going to be a problem, but managed to beat Oklahoma, but couldn't stop Juan Dixon, man, Juan Dixon. That was, I, whatever happened to him, but that dude was a hell of a ball player. That was a great Maryland team, Lonnie Baxter and Chris Wilcox and Steve Blake. And, but Juan Dixon, man, we just couldn't stop him. And it was over uh, when we got ran into him, but that was a hell of a, hell of a year. Look, you automatically are giving us cred with like the absolute encyclopedic type knowledge that you just dropped just now. And what, what was the one that you referenced? You said every single Hoosier fan knows where they were when Blank when happened. A- I want to I want to test my Hoosier fans on this. When AJ Moy blocked Carlos Boozer in uh, oh okay the Sweet Sixteen, was that off the rebound of a missed free throw or something? Nah, it was uh, so. 
where Indiana has slowly been coming back, coming back, coming back, slowly been coming back. And I think they're down like three or I can't remember, but like Jay will drives bounce passes that Boozer's got a step and, you know, Boozer's six, nine and built like a tank. AJ Moye was maybe six, two, maybe. And he was, he was a night recruit and just carved out of wood, played hard, tough as nails. My favorite player on that Indiana team by far, even though I didn't list him earlier, that that's my favorite player from the O2 team. And he just comes out of nowhere and blocks Boozer, and it was a jump ball. And it was great. The place erupted, and you just kind of had the feeling that it was going to happen. And I was – see, Calvert Chaney's Final Four and Elite Eight. I mean, I, I, I remember those from YouTube, but I was like six. I don't really remember them. So, like, that was, that was it. That and the watch shot. The watch shot was every Hoosier remembers where they were when that happens. And uh, or at least ones of my age, those are the those are the two that they will tell you where they were when those things happen. Yeah, you know, just to echo that for you, I remember where I was watching Indiana upset Duke that year. So I can't imagine what it'd be like being a diehard fan at the peak fan years. You know, early teenage years, if anything, twelve to fourteen, somewhere in there. Um, Goddamn, I'm jealous. Maybe you'll get that as a thirty year old ball fan one of these days in football. <laughs> So I guess you're asking what would come close to that. Uh, I was a big uh, Colts fan with Peyton Manning. Uh, so when we uh, won the Super Bowl, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, that's the only thing that come close to that that I've experienced so far as a fan because, you know, my adult team has, has become the Tennessee Vols football. You know, me and my girlfriend are season ticket holders. I'm going to spend probably $2,000 this year to be another season ticket holder again. So like, and that hadn't paid off yet, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, yeah, the, the Colts run and the Indiana Pacers run when uh, we lost a uh, Showtime part two uh, when it was just getting started. That was pretty sweet. And uh, the 98 Eastern Conference Finals with uh, Reggie and the Bulls. That's the only thing that could come close to that. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, I'll get you guys out of here on this. Uh, two things. Well, hold on. Hold on. Sue's got one more question for you. Oh, awesome. Go ahead. You can get us out of the We got you at his job. Come on, Lowe. <laughs> my bad, my bad. No, you're good. Uh, and we can we can make it as brief or as long as possible. I don't care. We got nowhere to go. But Logue, I'll stay uh, up all night talking this if y'all want to. I don't care. So K- Kentucky and Calipari. Do you think yeah. they're big pussies for not scheduling you anymore? No, I use beneath them, and I'm serious. Like if we're gonna keep doing this, I would I wouldn't play as either. And uh, he he's kind of a pussy for doing the whole. Well, I'm not going to Bloomington. I. I agree with them in a sense because when I was growing up as a kid, it was always Indianapolis and Louisville, the neutral and neutral. But um, I get not one to come to Assembly Hall, but, you know, right now I'd say I wouldn't why, – why does Kentucky need to play Indiana if they're going to keep this up? Like, I wouldn't play as either. A self-aware fan. I, I respect <laughs> that. Look, what were your questions for us? Uh, so – when you guys think to, to keep doing the nostalgic Indiana thing and to keep doing the Bobby Knight thing and why I love him so much, 
When you guys think Big Ten basketball in the early 1990s, what comes to mind? Fab Five. Yeah, yeah, Fab Five. five, Now, they were like the best thing ever, right? What do you think their record was against Bobby Knight? Mm, I I think you're setting us up for an obvious response, so I'm assuming that they never beat Bobby Knight. They got him one time. Uh, Knight went five and one. With uh, Calvert Chaney, Greg Graham, all those guys, five and one against the Fab Five. I mean, he won. They, IU won the Big Ten two out of three of those years, and I mean, it's just that's because that's because Bob Indiana Knight probably yeah. Bob Knight probably absolutely hated those shorts and black socks and shoes. Might have might have contributed. Might have contributed. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, yeah. That's a hell of a nugget. Logue, I'll get you out on this right now. Uh, when I first met you, you might have been one of the very few individuals that I met from Indiana. And I was just trying to create some conversation. And I asked you, hey, Logue, out of nowhere, I was like, tell me a little bit about Gary, Indiana. I don't know why the fuck I said that. Maybe because I knew the Jackson 5 was from there. And yeah. I don't know, Gary Harris might have been. And I was like, oh, Gary Harris from Gary. Kind of cool. Do you remember exactly what you told me? Uh, good place to die or something like that. Very yeah. close. <laughs> <laughs> look, you looked me straight in the eye. You said, you said, well, it's a great place to get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid. Look, Gary is what it is. Living in Tennessee now, uh, it's our Memphis. It's Indiana's Memphis. Uh, Gary, though, I'll tell you this, man. When I was at IU – I went to some. Uh, I went to a few parties with some guys from Gary. They're a lot of fun. It, it, I had a good time, but it's uh, it's not the nicest place in the world. But good ball players come down Gary though. Several. Uh, Glenn Robinson's probably the best. Etwan uh, Moore. Uh, there's too many to count. Dan Dockage is kind of from Gary, not really, but you know. Dan Dockage is definitely that guy that reps Gary. Like it's the same people that say I'm not just from Chicago. Like I'm from the South side of Chicago and (laughs) they're not like where Derek Rose is from or anything like that. They're just on this. They're close to the South side. Uh, But yeah, I mean, he shut down Jordan. All right. So pay, pay some respect and don't, don't attack him in this way. All right. He shut down Jordan. Happy birthday, Michael Jordan, by the way, I will be remiss though. I, I, I got to tell you that guys, this one story and I'll get out of here. So like I said, my dad was one of the student managers for Indiana when uh, Bob Knight was his first year. And it, it happened to be assembly hall's first year being opened. And so naturally the, the coach before Knight was not real strict would be a nice way of saying it. And so um, a lot of people tried to get in and see practice. Cause you know, I guess the coach before it, you could, you could go to practice. And uh, so my dad's running around. Practice was incredibly regimented, incredibly, everybody had their job to do. And um, Knight runs, you know, my dad's running around. Knight yells at him, says, hey, come here. And I'm sure, you know, he said it how Bobby Knight says everything. But he's like, you know, get those people out of here. And so my dad runs up to wherever these guys are sitting and there was a guy, they all had their red blazers on old guys. And he goes, Hey, sorry, y'all, you know, coach Knight says practices are closed. You guys got to leave. And they kind of look at each other and they're like, you serious? 
And he's like, yeah, man, Coach Knight says y'all got to get out. Y'all got to get out. I'm sorry. And so they leave. And my dad goes back doing his thing in practice. And the head manager comes over and he goes, do you know what you just did? And my dad was like, no. He said, that was the president of Indiana. He said, you just threw out the president and I, my, the dean or somebody like that. It was like three very important men. And, and they, yeah. And uh, what's crazy, Knight hadn't coached a game yet at that time. That was his first like top, like practice at IU maybe. And just told his boss, get the hell out. And told a 17-year-old freshman manager to throw the president of Indiana out of Assembly Hall. And he did it. <laughs> so, like, I mean, that, that, to me, that's that's my all-time favorite Coach Knight story. But That's incredible, Logue. I appreciate you sharing that with us, man. That was incredible. Yeah. Well, hey, guys. Had a lot of fun. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Yeah, I, I bet you can complain, but like typical Hoosier, you know, I'm always going to watch. I'm going to complain, but I'm always going to watch. I'm always going to rock IU. I was going to rock the Vols. But no one bitches quite like a Hoosier when it comes to Indiana basketball. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for letting me play along. Thank you, Logue. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Logue. All right. We want to thank Logue again for shedding some hysterical stories, incredible stories about Bob Knight, his fandom with Indiana, and, of course, he gave us a free concert. Incredible pipes on Logue there. But uh, let's go ahead and round it out now with some segments, starting with Where Am I? Where am I? Where am I? Shark. Where Am I? It was alluded to a little bit in the interview with Logue, uh, which, I mean, I don't know how – Subi's going to be working overtime editing that thing because I, I don't know how he's going to plan on splicing that thing. But Logue, in the middle of it, after he started singing, hung up the phone – Took like 20 minutes to get him back on there. Um, guy, he could have talked all night. So a lot of, a lot of late nights with me, the Chief, and Lowe where we were putting together like this uh, manifesto of college basketball teams. We, we got to get him back on the show. But anyways, I alluded to it in our conversation with Lowe. Um, My where am I is actually going to be Tom Coverbit. Uh, most of us should remember him. Early memories of the early 2000s, a vintage-looking Indiana basketball player, short, Chubby, red hair, lethal from three, tough as nails, does the little things. Uh, he's Mr. Basketball in Indiana, perfect Bob Knight type player. He, <laughs> this is his, his where am I? First of all, I admit we poke fun at Logue for um, you know trying to thinking that the audience could see him while he's talking on a podcast. You need to stop what you're doing right now and just Google a picture of Tom Coverdale because it looks like about. 17 bad weekends in a row streamlined together. A lot of beers, a lot of wings, puffy face. It, it, it's awesome. He looks like an Indiana fan, but he also happens to be one of the perfect Indiana basketball players. So look at that photo. But what he's been up to is actually a very uh, successful career in the insurance industry. He's bounced around to various different places. He, right out of after graduating in the early 2000s, he you know, took a shot at coaching for a little bit. He pl- tried to play a little bit longer. That didn't work out too well. And then he's been in the in, in the insurance industry for a long time. Various different companies: Shepherd Insurance, American Family Insurance, and now he's at AAA. So he has had a uh, a a nice career, uh, making sure that people in this community that no doubt supported him for a long time are able to have the proper insurance in case things go south in their lives. Tom Coverdale. That's that's a deep cut right there. So 
Good for Coverdale. Glad we were able to catch up on him. Let's go to hugs. Taylor, who's your hug for? These pictures of Coverdale are incredible, by the way. Um, my hug is for one of Shark's very favorite players in college basketball, and that's a friend of the program, Marcus Howard. He became the Big East all-time leading scorer this last week, and apparently, again, to become one of the best college basketball conferences leading scorer, it's all just must be four years of empty numbers, I guess. Uh, Shark, question for you. Do you think that uh, Jimmer Fredette was a good scorer in college basketball? I do. Okay, good, because Marcus Howard is only 17 points behind him in all-time career points. And in fact, he will get into the top 25 in all-time basketball points scored before the season is out this year. So, friend of the program for at least Subi and myself, Marcus Howard, hugged to him for becoming the Big East all-time leading scorer. So, real quick, like you had mentioned, I am part of the Howard Hive, but I was thinking when he hit that last three to then – become the conference's all-time leading scorer. It kind of went to the Sharks' point. It was against Butler, right? He hit that three when they were down four. It was like the most perfect example of an empty stat. I, so, look, he's got great numbers, all right? I'm not going to attack you on that, but let me, let me ask this question. If you had to pick a point guard from the Big East to run your team in March, when would you pick Marcus Howard out of Big East point guards? I'd go Powell over him. Well, I'd, I'd go Powell, and I think about Kamar Baldwin in a, in, a, in a March Madness game. I think about Baldwin right there. Um, I think about Gillespie. Like they're like Howard, you're the all-time leading. Well, like he should unanimously be the number one pick right there. But for whatever reason, there's something in the back of your head telling you, no, there's something about this guy I just don't really want. And well, that I think is my point. That little thing in the back of your head—that's me saying this about Howard. Okay. I think that, yeah, I guess it just comes down to personal preference. Like if I want a guy that's going to hit a big shot in the tournament, that's I think him or though Kamar Baldwin did just hit a game winner last week. I'd still probably go Marcus Howard, but he's not necessarily going to run the team as well as some of those other guys. But at the same time, he doesn't need, he doesn't necessarily have this team to run like some of those other guys, like he would have uh, maybe last year. Uh, who are the brothers? Why can't I think of them? Hauser. The Hauser. Hauser brothers. Yeah, the Hauser brothers. That'd be a whole different story if they were here uh, this year. I think also part of the Marcus Howard narrative is that they were upset. I put that in air quotes because of the seeding last year in the first round. And then you look at the team that they lost to in Murray State and you just look at that 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 name across the chest and then you have to take a step back and realize, wait a minute, uh, they have probably the they had the rookie of the year in the NBA. Right. So it, there's no real shame in losing to fucking John Morant. Well, I think kind of though to further that my point or our point that they're not empty stats. I mean, Marquette is still ranked 19th right now. And I don't think anyone or very few people would have had them ranked in the top 20 at this point this year after losing everything they did last year. And why are they ranked in the top 20? One Marcus man. Howard. Yeah, right. right. So, Shark, any hugs? Yeah, my hug is to um, John Beeline, who the report is out that he is getting close to calling that uh, little fling with the Cleveland Cavs and calling that one short. So my hug goes out to him. We'll see where he lands. I I saw a shocking report that, like, Boston College could be the landing spot for John Beeline. Like, Like, did I have too many Bombay Sapphires this weekend? I mean, is this real life? I mean, like one of the most successful college coaches of this century wants to go to 
I want to go to Chestnut Hill. Uh, uh, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of better coaching jobs that open up in the next couple months. But I mean, no, that's, that's what I thought, too. That's Texas what I thought, too. Being, they're, they're linking them. <laughs> they're somehow linking this guy to it. I can't believe it. Uh, you know, also, you know, Marcus Howard's never won a uh, March Madness game ever. But, <laughs> This a tournament two years ago. First year he lost in the first round to South Carolina. Last year he lost to John Morant. Uh, Jim Rufferdette with a three seed uh, that one year. So I was going to get back to my rebuttal on that point. I'm going to use it turn by hug second. No worries. No worries. Uh, well, hang, so, I was just going to say, hang on. So we already covered the John Morant thing. Was that the South Carolina team that went to the Final Four? It was. Actually, you got to beat yeah, okay. those two yeah, teams. Yeah, you right. beat them. Because well, they're, they're a seven seed and they're favored and they should, they should win that game. But, team, team of Destiny and... NBA Rookie of the Year. How, yeah, yeah, how are you, you going to beat Sindor, Sindarius Thornwell? Okay, I don't know. Maybe he can yeah. make the tournament the following year, but he didn't can't, do that. Can't do it. Um, okay, hold on. Going back to John Beeline, without putting too much effort into it, if John Beeline was a college basketball coach right now, he'd be top 10, 15 coaches oh, in the country? Easily 10? 15. I'd say top five, dude. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so, sorry, Shark, that's why he's not going to end up at BC, is because... I, dude, dude, I'm with you. Like, I don't yeah, think... Okay, okay. That's why I'm shocked right now. Because I, I bet you there's at least one good college basketball school out there that would consider firing their pretty good coach already. Low mentioned but, Indiana. Yeah, right. Uh, Texas, Shaka Smart's going to get smir- fired. I think that Shaka Smart smired. Shaka Smart's going to get fired uh, at Texas, and Texas, I think, would probably just back up their brink truck to... to uh, Probably. Here, the thing with him, here's the thing, Sue. I'm going to set you up for one right here. The problem with Beeline is his age. Like, if he's walking into a club and Daryl from the office is the bouncer at that club, Sue, what's he going to say? You're old as fuck. I want to let you in, but you're old as fuck. Thank you very much. No problem. Uh, I My only little ginseng that I want to add on this is that. <laughs> I love that this is happening to Cleveland, man. I mean, it's my favorite city. The ineptitude of of the city and their teams never ceases to amaze me. And I truly, truly believe that LeBron James, when he's done playing, should not have to pony up any cash to own that team. The mere fact that in X amount of years, whatever he was with the Cavs, that he covered up this complete dysfunction is nothing short of remarkable. Not only covered it up. I mean, if he won 45 to 50 games each year, that would that, that takes a Herculean effort. He won titles, got them to like three or four straight NBA Finals appearances, whatever it was. LeBron James deserves to own that team whenever he is good and ready. So uh, that, that that's kind of the biggest thing that that I took away from this. And uh, I mean, it, it, the ineptitude. I love it. Uh, all right, hugs for me. I'll end it with two real quick ones. A cook, a cook. For UConn, suffered an Achilles injury within the first minute or so against Memphis. He was in tears. Absolutely terrible scenario. I feel bad for him. Uh, so hopefully, your know, quick recovery for a cook, a cook. And then also Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan returned for the first time in nearly five years to Gainesville because the court is being named after him. I actually feel like that's incredibly late for Billy Donovan. Uh, the, the guy is a legend in Gainesville. And... I wanted to pose a question. We actually lost Taylor somehow. I'm assuming he's coming back here shortly, but I wanted to pose a question here, Shark, to you. Is Billy Donovan an, a basketball Hall of Famer? I personally think he is. 
because we look at the track record. Uh, he's got two titles at Florida, 1987 Final Four at Providence. There you go, PC. Good hug for you. Uh, and a relatively successful NBA coaching career. He's coached in, in Western Conference Finals. So does Billy Donovan's resume get him to the Naismith Hall of Fame? Without a doubt. And I think what gets him in is the fact that he's got a court named after him and he's not even 55 years old. That that was my takeaway from this is like he's pretty young. He can live the next half of his life knowing that he has a court named after him. When did uh when did like Coach K get his because that court's named after Coach K, right? Yeah. Yeah. When did that happen? Probably pretty recently. Coach K's like 102. Yeah. You're right. I mean, he's able to to see the fruits of his labor and all the Florida guys were back and some of the names were hysterical. I think my favorite name was was Teddy Dupay. I think that was like 99-2000 type Florida team. But hug to Billy Donovan. want to thank Logue again for jumping on the program. We will see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. Enjoy the rest of the week.
Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. 